0: Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service which is already underway and listen to the message. I begin tonight by just stating the obvious for us as Christians, that nothing that is taking place right now surprises God. Nor is God overwhelmed by it. What is taking place, though, is new to us. It is extremely challenging on every front, and uh, all of us are trying to adapt and make changes as this unfolds. However, I again remind us with confidence that God has walked through these moments with humanity time after time. Many times over, God has helped His people walk through these times, has positioned His church for times like these, and so God is not overwhelmed by this. I'm reminded of the passage in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 1, verse 8, all things are full of labor, man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing, that which has been that which has been is what will be, that which is done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which may be said, see, this is new? It has already been in ancient times before us. God has responded to times like these. And one of the ways that we understand God's thoughts in these times and what God wants to do in these times is through the written word of God we call the Bible. We refer to the Bible as the word of God. It is God's instructions, it's God's guidance, God's blueprint, it's God's story revealed to us. And I encourage you to consider. The Bible as one of your main go to resources during this time. I find myself consuming a lot of information, and probably you do too. A lot of information from different media sources, trying to make sense of what is going on, how to respond best. And I want to know in a day to day situation and even hour to hour what has changed in the world. And every day, we wake up, it seems that the world is a little bit different. Laws are changing. Our patterns of living are changing. The way we connect is changing. The way we communicate is changing. Every day seems to offer a few more changes. But I've been challenged as well during this time to Put some things in front of me that feed my soul, that don't just feed my intellect or my understanding, but feed my spirit. Because of all the things that are changing, one thing we're reminded of is that God's word does not change. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 tells us be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God. Which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And Paul says, finally, brethren and sisters, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything worthy of praise, meditate on these things. If there's one thing that we can rely on that doesn't change, it is the stability, it's the rock of God's truth and God's word. As I mentioned before, God's God has walked with humanity through times like this, and might I say, times worse than this. And so I am looking for God's wisdom in these times. His word has sustained many people in many trials. I'm reminded of scriptures like Malachi 3.6, For I am the Lord... I do not change, therefore you are not consumed. Psalm chapter 119, 89, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Psalm chapter 33, verse 10, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans plans of the people of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generation. God knows how to deal with these situations And so I don't know how you view the Word of God. I don't know how you're using the Word of God during these times. Uh, Pastor Kristen is really encouraging us to make a personal copy of the Word of God, and I think that's so important during these times, that you have something to fall back on, something that is rock for you in these times. We know that the Bible is a collection of writings, and we uh, appreciate that about the Bible, but I would... Just tell us tonight that the Bible is a resource of all resources. It is a book full of principles that are true, statements that are true about salvation and statements that are true as it pertains to how we live life in this present age in what we are dealing with now. The Bible provides us guidance and is a great resource. So I encourage you to make it a daily reality in your life. As we read the Bible, it can be overwhelming to read, and it can be even more overwhelming to try to understand. And There are so many things that we uh, sometimes have to overcome when we read the Bible and try to make sense of it. Who was the audience? Who was... The Bible talking to how did this particular audience live and, and what was going on politically? How were they living their lives? Who, uh, didn't like who? Who was the enemy of who? And, and there's all these things that kind of help us understand the Bible and its application. And so we're constantly encouraging you to understand scripture, to uh, uh, add some knowledge to uh, and add some things to your knowledge as it pertains to the word of God and not just read it, study it to uh, help make application to it. We are reminded of Second Timothy where Paul said, remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words. To no profit, to, ruin, to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself. Approve to God a worker who does not need to be ashamed. It says rightly dividing the word of truth. In a time where there are a lot of voices and a lot of things being said, it's important to understand the truth of God's word. It says to shun profane and idle babblings for they will increase to more ungodliness. There's so much information out there and it's hard to make sense of what's true. But even as it pertains to the Bible, there's so many perspectives, so many angles to what's being said. But we have to be careful that we look for truth. We understand truth. And Paul warned Timothy that the message, this false doctrine or these ideas that are untrue would spread like cancer, would spread in a way that would make its way. And Paul said, uh, he references a couple people who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past and they overthrow the faith of some. And, and in these kind of times, it's really uh, possible to be uh, sidetracked and to be... Uh, maybe taken away from the truth that you understood. And so I encourage you to stay near the Word of God, stay near to those who have taught you the truth and and to understand that God's truth wants to prevail in these times. And so in perspective of this, in 2019, Kristen and I began an extended series on the New Testament. We kind of did a flyover review of the books, uh, different books and different sections of the New Testament. And we want to continue that for the next little while. And what we looked at was that the New Testament is divided really into four main sections. Number one is the section of the Gospels. We Looked at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and uh, these are the stories of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, and we covered this in February of 2019. The next section we talked about was the history, and that's found in the book of Acts. It's the, the history of the early church and how the church responded to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We talked about this in September of 2019. And the two other sections that we can divide the New Testament into is the the section of the epistles. And these are letters written by leaders to the church and Uh, Mainly leaders, these leaders are apostles of some kind or leaders who are trying to communicate to the church. And really the epistles is divided into two main sections. The Pauline epistles or the epistles written by Paul and then the general epistles. These are letters written by different people to a more general audience. And then there's the... section of prophecy that's known as the book of revelation and this too is a letter but its main objective and purpose is prophetic and it is to help us understand the end of time and so what i feel compelled to walk us through for the next several weeks in growth university are the letters found in the new testament known as the general epistles or the general letters These letters were written to people who were facing circumstances that in some ways can be seen in a similar way to ours. The letters in the Bible speak to the personal nature of God. When you consider that God used a letter to communicate his thought and his words, he could have used a more authoritarian approach. He could have used a great king or somebody in authority to dictate his word. But instead, he uses something very simple and something very personal, a letter. And we understand that this is the nature of God. God is a personal God. And so he uses this letter, this form of a letter to communicate his word. And I believe that we can find some core truth in these general Epistles and uh, how to persevere in times like these. And as I mentioned earlier, God has walked with humanity during times like this and times worse than this. And we can look to him in these letters for wisdom and guidance because his word provides that platform, that place of stability. So let me walk through this quickly tonight. Why do they call these letters the General Epistles? Well, it's a variety of writers, first off, and it's to a more general audience. Although it will help us to understand the particulars of the audience, we understand that it's more general in nature, and it's not necessarily addressing one issue or a particular need in a particular church, as do Paul's letters sometimes uh, uh, directly uh, talk to a specific people. So the general epistles uh, are generally known as uh, Hebrews, James, first and Second Peter. First, second, and third, John and Jude. Some scholars consider Hebrew to be a part of the Pauline epistles, uh, but we'll reference them now uh, just in a general sense as the general epistles. Tonight, specifically, I want to begin with the book of James. I feel there are some very core truths that can be found in the book of James that can provide help for our current reality. First, let's consider who wrote the book of James. Most scholars affirm that James, also known as Jacob, is the half brother of Jesus and he is the one who wrote the book of James. There's another James that's referenced in the New Testament, but most scholars generally believe it is the half-brother of Jesus who wrote this book called the book of James. I encourage you to turn to the book of James at this time. We're going to walk through it a little bit. But how would you like to be the half-brother to Jesus in the early church? I, I don't know about you, but... Uh, That would uh, be a powerful place to be, to be the half-brother of Jesus. But James doesn't seem to use that particular family position to any kind of authority or even credibility. Uh, I, I, I think I might have tried to use it if my brother was Jesus. I might have said to a few people, um, hey, you, you know who I am, right? I, I think we could probably argue we might, we might leverage that a little bit. But to the churches, uh, James did not leverage this. We uh, might try to throw in a few historical facts about how Jesus liked us more than others or that we were the first ones to really believe in Jesus. We might add some color to it, but James doesn't seem to do that. James just addresses himself as James and doesn't really add any other commentary as to his relation to Jesus Christ. What we realize is that Jesus's brothers did not even believe in him, and uh, that, that would have been uh, maybe a reason James could have avoided the subject. The scripture tells us in John chapter 7, verse 5, that even Jesus' brothers did not believe in him. So it might explain his humility, um, but really what I think it was, was James understood that the only real power, the only real credibility that he had was in the Spirit, that through the power of the Holy Spirit that came after Jesus ascended, that's what enabled James to be who God wanted him to be. You've heard of the the term to uh, go to heaven on the coattail of your parents, and man, James could could have used that line, but you know to to use jesus as a a way to get into heaven but we realize that even james was not going to get into heaven just because of his brother To that point, we realize that even Mary, the mother of Jesus, although Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, we realize that she received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and was baptized in his name. She experienced the new birth, and it is not something that uh, we're just going to be able to use our parents, or some other means, we all must be born again. And so James, the brother of Jesus, experienced this, and when he wrote his book, he did not leverage his relationship to Jesus to add credibility. What we know is that James had become a leader in the church in Jerusalem. As Peter began to travel, James began to uh, grow in wisdom, and he began to grow in authority in Scripture. And we find this in Acts chapter 15 when all the apostles were gathered and they're having this council that it was James who rose up and he answered them and he began to give them the solution to the issue that they were having. Most say that James pastored in Jerusalem for a length of time. Some say it was 30 years, up to 30 years, and this is remarkable because of what we understand would have been taking place in the city of Jerusalem, that James would have Remained there. And, and the timetable would have been sometime between 40 and 55 AD, some say as late as 60 AD. But what we realize is that James would have been in Jerusalem during a very tumultuous time in the church's history and in cultural history. And so when James pins this letter, this letter to the church, his recipients, were mainly the Jewish believers. And so that's why many believe it was written early in uh, the Jewish or the the Christian uh, church because it addresses mainly a Jewish audience and the the Gentiles hadn't quite uh, been established yet. And so he would have known the martyrdom and the church in Jerusalem would have known the martyrdom of Stephen and would have felt the persecution of Herod. But what I want to pause here tonight and, and make a reference to is that this group that James was writing to would have also faced a very traumatic moment in culture. Not only did they face persecution and not only did they face the full weight of government and, and what Herod was doing but they would have faced some extraordinarily difficult circumstances due to a famine that was in Judea. This famine was prophesied in Acts chapter 11. You can read it, Acts chapter 11, 27 through 30. For sake of time, I won't read it to you, but you can read about these prophets who prophesied about this famine that was to come. And this famine would come later and this would have been the time that James would have been writing the book of James. He would have understood that Those in Judea, those who would have received this letter, would have been going not just through persecution, but they would have been going through a famine. And so therefore, when I consider this writing, this little letter that James wrote, he wrote it to a church who was scattered. He wrote it to a church that was disconnected, a church that was distant Socially, They were uncertain about their financial stability. They were facing trials and difficulties on every side. And so James opens his book and his letter, and he says in chapter 1, verse 1, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. He is... Saying to them that he is communicating to everyone who is scattered abroad. This is a church, these 12 tribes, he's not just specifically talking to just 12 tribes, but he's using it as kind of a way to say, I'm speaking to everyone. Whatever tribe you're coming to, whatever tribe of uh, the Jewish culture you're coming to, you've turned to Christianity, I'm speaking to you. But he says you are scattered abroad. Now, I relate to this letter, this opening line, because he greets them. He says greetings, but it's a letter. He's not getting any feedback. I'm not getting any feedback. Feedback. I'm just saying hello to you with no feedback. So I I, I relate with James here in that he's saying this to a group of people that are scattered. They're everywhere in different places, different homes, different uh, areas of Judea. And he's telling them that he is greeting them. And he wants them to know that he sees them where they are. I would argue today in our culture, and even around the world that the church of God has never been more scattered. Think about the last time you went to a church. When was the last time you gathered with a body of believers for prayer, for worship, for hearing of the word? We are a scattered body of people. James is writing to a group of people who is disjoined. They once were a thriving church in Jerusalem. They once were a people who gathered together. But James writes to them that they are now scattered in a group that used to worship together, a group that used to pray together, a group that even ate together is now less disconnected and socially distant. But James addresses them. And James addresses them... And he immediately makes a bold proclamation. And this is really at the heart of what I want to share with you tonight. James said, my brothers and sisters, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Okay, stop. Joy You're asking me to be glad in this moment? James, do you understand the circumstances that we're living in? Can you imagine the people who actually receive this letter? Can you imagine their thought process? They're gathered in makeshift homes lit by torches. They're, they're probably kids screaming in the background just like they are at your house. Rain is dripping inside of the house. They They only have the clothes on their back from running from the authorities. They only have a little bit of bread in their house. They're, they're hungry. They, they haven't eaten a, a solid meal in days or weeks. They're sore from sleeping on the ground. They have strips of cloth that have been wrapped around their arm to stop the bleeding that they received a few days ago. And yet James says to this scattered group, count it all joy when you fall into various trials count it joy like you count money in a jar like you you get coins and you're putting them in a jar every time this trial causes discomfort count it all joy can you find joy in your life right now i'm challenged by that thought that james says can can you find joy right now james seems to think that even though we're scattered and even though things are really uncomfortable for us, we can somehow find joy. And James told them how they could find joy and how they could count it joy. He says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Here was the truth. Their trials did not Produce faith Their trials Did not produce faith In fact it was just the Opposite it challenged Their faith And so I I encourage you tonight to not Be discouraged that maybe your faith Is a little bit shaken or tested Don't think That you you have lost your Faith because you asked some Questions Understand that the testing That's coming is testing our faith, but James says that the testing of your faith produces something that is pretty significant. Now, it doesn't seem very exciting to us, and and when I read it, it's like, okay, yeah, that's great. The testing of your faith produces patience. And I think what we have undervalued is the role of patience in our life. Patience, this ability to be steadfast, this ability to persevere and to uh, uh, walk through circumstances that are outside of our control. James tells this church who's scattered that the testing of your faith, count it joy, that the testing of your faith produces patience. That's the joy that we receive. He's saying, It's the ability for you to watch paint dry. It's the ability for you to watch a plant all winter until it produces fruit. Count it joy that you have the capability, you have the capacity to do this, that this testing of your faith will produce your ability to endure. That is what is being produced in us. So I believe that God is, God's desire is not just for us to come out of this with more money or to come out of this with some dramatic testimony of deliverance or healing. I believe both of those are possible. I believe God can provide and God can protect. But I believe more than anything, God wants to change our perspective his desire is to change us to allow us to be better for having walked through this because the reality is some of us may have less money when we get to the end of this some of us may face some very dire things physically because of this But that's not what God is ultimately trying to produce through this. What God is trying to produce through this, through the testing of our faith, is patience. The ability to endure no matter what comes our way. And this is what James was trying to get them to understand. So he tells us what the purpose of this patience is. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Patience, this endurance, this steadfastness sets us up for a lot of good things in our life. This whole COVID-19 showed us the priorities of our life. We don't know how much more restriction we're going to face We don't know how much more is going to change. But I'll tell you what, four weeks ago or so, you would have told me that this is the way life would be. I would not have believed it. And I have to confess, I I didn't believe it as we were walking into it, as we were hearing rumors of other countries doing things. I, I, I thought there's no way, there's no way, there's no way. But here we are. And patience, this endurance is going to have a way of changing how we live and hopefully allows us to be better for it. And James says that to this group who is scattered everywhere, he says that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. This group that's scattered that has nothing, he says that patience is going to allow you to actually lack nothing. And then as we go into the rest of James, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But James outlines some tests that we face and we will face. And he really, as you look in the book of James, he uses the, Mount, the Sermon on the Mount and the book of Proverbs to weave a tapestry of challenges that cause us to consider all the ways in which patience needs to be in our life. And so I, I put them in two broad categories. There's a lot of ways that you can divide the book of James, but I'm going to put it in two categories and quickly go through this. First is the category of obedience. The second is the category of humility. That James says, if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. That God can give us wisdom during these times. God can allow his wisdom to prevail that we can actually know what God wants us to do during this time and it requires us to ask of God and he he says in chapter 3 verse number 13 who is wise and understanding among you let him show by good conduct that his works are done in meekness of wisdom But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy." I look at that list, and I'm thankful for the Calvary Church. Everybody, every pastor, every church has to respond in their way. But I believe that we've responded in this way with wisdom from above. That's pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. And he says this, Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And so James weaves this tapestry, testing our obedience to the word of God, challenging us in the face of temptation. He talks about in James chapter 113, temptation, that no one is tempted by God. He, he talks about that that. We should not just hear the word of God, but we should be doers in James chapter one twenty one and, and he talks about that our our lives should demonstrate our faith, that we shouldn't just say that we have faith, but that our lives live, the works of our lives should demonstrate our faith in James chapter two, eighteen. And he, he tells us that that our our speech needs to be considered, that we need to use and be obedient to the word of God and the things that we say in James chapter one, twenty-six, and another passage in James. But James challenges the obedience. He challenges their obedience, that church that was scattered to God in spite of their circumstances. I have to confess, it seems almost insensitive, some of the things that he said, but he's really challenging them that God is wanting to use this time, not just for for moments of miraculous and moments for provision. And I believe again that he's doing that, he will do that and it's going to be a part of the story. But one of the main parts of what God is going to get glory out of is our ability to be obedient to the glory, to the word of God in these times and to grow in our ability to endure anything that is put in front of us. How will we be able to endure persecution? How will we be able to endure these things? I believe the Lord is building our endurance. God is working in these times. James was not just being insensitive, but he understood the bigger picture. And secondly, not only did James talk about obedience, but he talked about humility. It was another major category you see In James chapter 4, 10, he says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. He speaks about our potential for partiality, our our potential to to look at people differently, to divide uh, our viewpoint of people where some people are considered more important than others. And so he said, be careful that you don't allow this sense of partiality to be a part of your existence, but humble yourself to you Everyone. He speaks to the potential for covetousness in this group. They're scattered, and, and it seems like uh, you're just reaching for whatever you can get. You're, you're reaching in the stores for every product that seems important. You're reaching for supplies and those kind of things, and, and we can see covetousness creep into our lives. And he speaks about the potential for arrogance in our life where, where we begin to say that tomorrow I'm going to do this, and next week I'm going to do this this and 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 he he guards against that and says you got to be careful that you don't know what tomorrow brings and so I I know there's hope I I believe that there's hope for the future but I I also realize that that God wants us to live in the present he wants us to to understand the present and so we can't have this sense of arrogance of what we're going to do we're trusting God with every day and he speaks to their potential for arrogance about wealth and possessions. He challenges the rich. And, and if we consider the, what America is and, and what we have, we would be considered pretty wealthy around the world. And I'm thankful for the, the, the government assistance and those kind of things. But be careful on how we hold on to our possessions in these times. And James walks through that in James chapter 5. But as James concludes his writings, he comes back around to his original subject, and his original subject was patience. He says in James chapter 5, verse 7, "'Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord.'" Be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Are you and I patient enough to wait for the coming of the Lord?" Are we able to endure? And so James begins by saying all this that's happened to you, all this scattering is to build up your endurance, your ability to be patient, to endure till the coming of the Lord. I want the Lord more than ever to come back. I want the Lord to come back tonight. But if he doesn't, I want to be able to endure. I don't want to throw in the towel prematurely. I don't want to just uh, throw in everything and say, say oh, well, uh, we'll just have to rely on government. No, I- I'm going to. I want to endure to the end. I want to endure to the end. And He says this, James says this, be patient, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. He says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. We're in a winter season. Even though spring is all around us, we're in a winter season where things are restricted. And we're waiting patiently. We're waiting. And James chapter 5, 8 says, you also be patient. Establish your hearts. He says stabilize your hearts. How do you stabilize your heart in the word of God? For the coming of the Lord is at hand. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. James then gives some examples of those who suffered and were patient. James chapter 5:10 says, "My brethren and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord As an example of suffering and patience. Suffering and patience. Trials are meant to produce patience. Don't miss what God is producing in us. He said, indeed, we count them blessed to endure. When we look at their stories, we're like, wow, they're amazing. Look at what they endured. He said, you heard of the perseverance of Job and have seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and mercy. You look at the end, understand that you and I are being prepared just like the prophets and just like Job, just like the early church. You and I are being prepared. So we are patient. So how do we respond to this suffering? James says that we pray. Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Let him pray. And ultimately, James' final words encourage not just patience that sits and waits, but a patience. That word patience is an active word. It's being active in the world while you wait on Jesus Christ. It's enduring, it's persevering, it's continuing to run, it's continuing to walk, even though you are being pushed against on every side. That's what that word patience means. And he says this, he concludes his letter with these words Brother and sister, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner, from the air of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. It almost seems out of place, but what is James saying? Just as God is patient with us, that this patience, this endurance that we're developing during this time should be extended to everyone around us, and our hope is is that we are reaching for people who can be turned back towards God, who can find their way back towards God. And this is how God uses scattering. This is how God uses the dispersing of his church to bring his kingdom to earth. So tonight, I conclude with app time. Give you a couple minutes here. But I want to ask you to answer this question, what is most challenging about this time for you? What is most challenging about this time for you? And then the second question is, in what ways is God producing patience in you during this time? In what ways is God producing patience in you during this time? So I want you to answer those two questions. Text somebody those answers. If you're on Facebook, Comment, if you're, if you're watching with somebody in the room, talk about this a little bit. I'll give you a couple minutes and then I'm gonna come back and close in prayer. As you're wrapping up your conversation and your texting, I want to read a final time for you these first two verses. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. To the Calvary Church, which is scattered abroad, greetings. My brothers and sisters, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. The Lord is using this for His glory, knowing that the the testing of your faith produces patience. The testing of your faith produces patience. Today, maybe you're suffering. We've heard of people, different people who are in need. And if you have not had the opportunity to, to give online, we encourage you to do that. It's helping us sustain ministry here. And uh, we encourage you to give your tithe and offering. But I would make a special appeal to you tonight that we have a fund set up. It's called the Benevolence Fund. And it is to help people who are in need. And so if you would like to give to that fund, maybe you uh, want to do that and just give uh, some money. We're helping people with different needs. And and uh, every uh, amount you give goes directly to people. It does not stay here In the church. And we have the box that we're collecting food in. We continue to encourage you to drop off food every day. Uh, This has been a great blessing to our community. There are a lot of ways that we uh, are able to uh, continue to see good things done around us. And so I encourage you to be a blessing to somebody, reach out to somebody. And if somebody's suffering around you, pray for them, figure out a way for us to bless them. And uh, James really talks about this. I encourage you over the next week to read the book of James. It takes 20 minutes to read the book of James. It's five chapters. It takes 20 minutes. It's 1,742 1, words. And I encourage you, maybe read it for the next three days straight to get a real perspective of how God wants us to view this time that we're walking in. And I know it'll be a great blessing to you as it has been for me. I want to pray for you. Lord, we come to you tonight. We thank you, God, for your word that is established. We thank you, God, for your word that we can stand on during these times that provides for us the stability that we need. God, we read the news, and we're going to read it over these next few days. We're going to see some things change, and things are going to create some uncertainty in our life. But, Lord, I pray that... Through this, the challenge of our faith, this pressing of our faith, that we would grow in our patience, we would grow in our endurance to ultimately be who you want us to be. God, whenever this storm is over, whenever this cloud is lifted and we're believing it will lift But, Lord, I pray that we would look back on this time and it would be a time of growth. It would not be a time where we uh, were weakened, but it would be a time where we were strengthened. Strengthen us through your word. Thank you, God, for the hope that we find and the, the ability to live our lives, the strength we have through your word to live our lives in a meaningful way to those around us. We thank you, God. We pray you'd bless our congregation, bless our people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining Growth University tonight. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people,